we're, we're still looking for a sponsor. So if MasterCard's interested, they could, you know, it could be the MasterCard lightning round. How much commerce are you selling on your podcast? <laughs> lots, okay. lots, lots. I mean, it's literally, it's you can't even count it. driven Yeah, yeah absolutely. Answer. Our ROI is big. Excellent. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Robert Schwartz, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's new podcast focused on ways to find humanity in modern marketing. I'm so excited to have Ben Jankowski, SVP of Global Media at MasterCard, here with me today. This is a special event. I'm so happy to have you here, Ben. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's jump in. Tell me a little bit about your role, how long you've had it, how it's changed over the years. Yeah, so I've been at MasterCard for eight years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My responsibilities are principally around helping the company manage the distribution of our media investments. So where are those spaces that you're kind of spending a lot of time Mm -hmm. thinking about at the moment that maybe are either non-traditional or the ones that have kind of come up over the past year or two? I think media technology in general. When I I moved over from, I was an agency guy. I was on your side of the desk for 25 years plus. And when I moved over, I thought it was just going to be sitting on the other side of the desk. The amount of time I spend on things like media technology, I could clone myself three times over and not spend enough time on media technology. And what about that? You know, what are you most worried about as it relates to that? Staying on top of it or, you know, picking platforms that are the new places to be or innovating for the balance of the enterprise? Or Yeah, I think it's a challenge of, on, on one hand, everything changes every day. Yeah. Right. So something happens every day. Just when you've got something figured out, yeah. it changes. Perfect example, we did a mountain of work in around ad serving, which yeah. is the lowest form. It's like the simplest, most basic blocking tackling thing you can do. But we spent a tremendous amount of energy to get 65 countries to do exactly the same taxonomy in every single market. And literally two weeks after we'd all aligned it and we have playbooks and everybody's been trained, Google comes out and says third parties won't have access to the DCM information anymore. So all the work that we'd planned to do with Adobe now has to be rethought. How do you reconcile sort of the different regulatory and compliance environments in those different countries in a way that makes any sense? It's It's a great question. I think that we have to find almost the highest common denominator. What's the safest path that we can go down? And that's the path that we have to follow. GDPR is a great example. We don't develop a new rule set and says, well, that's only a Europe thing. That's an everywhere thing for us. I mean, we sit there and say, what's the the most stringent rules that we follow? And generally speaking, we adopt those around the world, even if it means we're being overly conservative in some markets. You know, we're just super conservative around consumers and privacy because, you know, it's the most important part of our business. Where do you think the industry has made the most progress. It's funny because the area where we've made the most progress is also the area where we are moving too slow. We've done a great job of understanding and appreciating the promise of how data and technology can help us be better marketers. We're still not moving fast enough. Yeah. One of the things I'm sitting here thinking about is, you know, the reason why we started doing this podcast to begin with was to try to find places where human insight, human understanding, human intelligence is being deployed in, in this in this more technology-led world to the benefit of marketing. Sure. How do you guys think about a question like that? Is, are there places where you're sort of saying, hey, this is where insight plays a role in this very complicated technology infrastructure? I think a lot of what we do, we have an advantage of we're blessed with having a tremendous brand health around priceless Mm. Uh, Prices has been around for 20 years. Yeah. And Prices at its root was driven around 
the emotional benefit of we're an enabler to help you live a, a bigger, richer, more robust life rather than the material elements of, at the time, 20 years ago, our competitors were talking about very capitalistic material things. Yep. So we differentiated ourselves 20 years ago about being more about the emotional side of that. Now, how it translates today, we think about everybody uses data as a quant tool. I can drive more efficiency. I can yeah. and all the things rooted into that. How do we use data as a qualitative tool. How do we use data to help us understand consumers' passions mm. and help us understand how we can how we can deliver a more contextually relevant product? We work really hard at being contextually relevant around passion, a passion yeah. opportunities, right? So people are passionate about I'm a sports guy, and other people are the foodies, or they travel, or they're into you know, the arts or they're into family. So, you know, we work really hard at being, you know, contextually relevant around passions, using the data to help us qualitatively storytell rather than use it as an, as an efficiency tool. So us using data as a storytelling tool has been a really cool way for us to really drive much, much deeper engagement. Can you give, like, just a quick example, like your favorite example of that? Yeah, so for, for you know, Rugby World Cup, which is coming up next year in Japan, we're proud to be a sponsor of the Rugby World Cup. In you know, four years ago, the traditional, the old school mindset would have been: you hire ambassadors, yeah. you make big TV commercials, and you blast them out to you know masses of people. What, what we did in 2015 around rugby was we picked out ambassadors, and we had ambassadors rather than utilize them to make big, huge, high budget produced you know TV commercials. We used them to create very powerful short-term piece of content. Mm. We knew when when England was playing Ireland, we had a specific piece of content around where an English ambassador sat there and talked about how important it was to play Ireland and how important it was to beat Ireland. And if you target yeah, that to beat Ireland, forget playing Ireland, to beat Ireland. Correct. That's it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And if you target that towards yep. English rugby fans, if you deliver that message, you know, 36 hours before, you know, the game kicks off, the engagement levels of the core target audience, which was, you know, hardcore English rugby fans, went through the roof. That's a great example. What other brands are doing things that you admire? Anybody sort of jump to mind? No, I think that brand, some brands that can kind of create and kind of become their own, you know, media brands. And, and Red Bull's the, like the most obvious one, right? So <laughs> I think I read a fact somewhere where, you know, they make as much money from their media business as they do from selling their energy drink product. Kudos to those guys for being able to figure out how to, how to kind of drive that. So that's probably one example. And they own two, you know, football clubs. Right, exactly. No, that's how they manifest it. It's like you yeah. know, how they've gone from they own um, they own auto racing teams, they yep. own football teams. Forget all the like adventure type stuff of skydiving teams. Yep. And all, you know all that stuff they do. It's like you know probably a lot of the people that consume that media don't think about it like you know an energy drink company. No. Um, so it's like you know kudos to them for being able to kind of manifest that. Yeah, it's really I mean, hard. I can't think of another brand who's done it that well. No, I mean that to that extent to sort of really build a, an experiential lifestyle around a brand. I think that's yeah. th- they're a great example. Yep. Okay, let's change gears just a second. Yep. Let's talk Wall Gardens just mm-hmm. a little bit. Obviously, uh, Facebook is in the news every single day. Yep. Uh, seemingly for you know another set of complicated issues. What's your kind of perspective on? this moment in time for them? And has it changed how you guys are engaging with that platform? I think that, I think about this in kind of twofold, right? I think everybody, Google and Facebook included, everybody wants to, you know, have a user base that 
knows and trusts them. And I think that Facebook and Google and everybody is trying to do the best they can in terms of around, you know, trying to address, you know, some of those issues. I also think on the other side, there's so much whining and bitching and moaning about the general advertising community about, uh, you know, why, you know, why Facebook and Google don't play along with others in terms of having an open, you know, mm-hmm. a, you know, you know, breaking down the walled gardens per se. If Facebook and Google weren't powerful advertising vehicles that have proven to drive performance and drive results, then people wouldn't support them. Yeah. And if you're an advertiser, you're an agency, or you're another media owner, not so much media owners, if you're an a- advertiser and you want to complain about the walled gardens, then then stop supporting them. Yeah. Exactly. So Amazon, mm-hmm. somewhat quietly for them, mm-hmm. they, they tend to not be terribly quiet, has become the third largest ad platform. Yep. What's your perspective on them, their value proposition, and how are you guys sort of approaching your relationship with them? They're almost the gold standard of how the digital economy has provided opportunities for marketers. When Jeff Bezos started this company, he was selling books online. Nobody thought I challenge anybody to sit there and say they had a long-term vision that they were going to turn into, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue advertising mm-hmm. marketplace. There's no way they thought of that. And But Amazon's success is the ultimate expression of how they've created an amazing user experience between consumers and commerce. Are they the easiest company to work with from an advertiser perspective in terms of how they deliver information and things like that? Not even close. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, they don't have to. No, they don't have it's to. It's the same thing. It's like we, everybody talks about it. And I think one of the things they've gotten a little bit of a, they've gotten a little bit of a free ride because when people talk about big behemoths in the marketplace, everybody talks about, oh, Facebook and Google and the walled gardens. Yep. Nobody talks about Amazon. The amount of information that they provide, you know, as proof of performance and things like that is not even close to what standards are for what you would expect from other, you know, other e-commerce partners. But you'd say the same thing in other parts of the world about Alibaba. They figured out how to create an amazing user experience that's focused on e-commerce. And as such, marketers have to have to chase that because that's where we're ultimately trying to get that tipping point where consumers are driving business. And I think they give them credit for have done an amazing job of being able to tap into that. What's the one thing that, you know, you go to a conference, you know, you go to Adweek or you go to Cannes or you go to to Mexico or pick your favorite. The one thing that industry folks are not talking about or not thinking about that they should be. I think we spend so much time, every media owner spends so much time trying to think about themselves in a unique way. When you think about marketing at its root, everybody thinks about how to make yourself differentiated and unique. And I think from our standpoint, from what we have to do as marketers and and you guys have to do as our partners, we don't spend enough time thinking of how we're going to integrate all these ideas. Hmm. So it's kind of like we spend, spend less energy trying to figure out how to develop a unique measurement around mobile or, you know, programmatic or, you know, name your favorite, you know, you know, your favorite shiny penny topic, and more about how are we going to glue all these things together. When we have different metrics running across every single media type that we talk about, everybody's thinking about what makes my media type unique and different, and I'm going to go find different ways to measure success so that I'm differentiated. But when we've we've splintered ourselves into a million different pieces, we need to figure out how to kind of like pull that all together, and I don't think we spend enough time doing that. I hear in that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I hear in that, a little bit around the notion of uh, identity, and we and I didn't ask you about that. Let me let me ask you about that right now. Mm-hmm. To some extent, this is this is sort of the, the you know the siren song. <laughs> Are we 
getting somewhere on identity? Are we getting to a point where it's actually a more useful tool that we can use cross-platform in a way that can be uh, can really deliver on things like you know, quote unquote, people based marketing. Or no, I, I think that the promise of it again. I think the promise of it there. I think the theory of it is there. I think there are challenges that we have to figure out. Like you know, GDPR is a great example of like you know that's going to impact the speed in which we bring things to market. But I think that fundamentally and principally, it makes perfect sense. And I think that the technology is you know there, and now we just have to kind of bring it to scale, make it broader. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Last couple, and then we'll get into something we call the, the lightning round. So get excited for that, Ben. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, we have seen the beginning stages of the death of two venerable agency brands over the past eight and a half, ten weeks. As an ex-agency guy, when you hear about things like VML INR or you hear things like Wonderman Thompson, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're talking about two brands that you know one's about 100 years old, the other one's 150 years old. What what is your emotional reaction to that? I think that agencies, the whole ecosystem, has been slow to respond to change. This is not me pointing a finger to agencies. I mean, it's it's a shared effort, right? So how marketers have relied upon their agencies, what they've asked their agencies to do, how they've asked their agencies to evolve how they pay their agencies, and how agencies have reacted to that hasn't been contemporary with other people in the marketplace. There are other people in the marketplace who have found unique niche ways to provide a more valuable product in today's marketplace. And I think that I'm a little surprised that the, the, the speed in which somebody's made some dramatic steps. I think there are some interesting things that have happened, like Dentsu's investment in Merkel, IPG's investment in Axiom, mm-hmm. um, potentially, you know, w- once upon a time when Publicis and Omnicom were going to, mer- you know, we're going to merge together, they were going to put a lot of energy around buying or building, you know, big huge resource in that area. So everybody kind of talks about it, but I mean, bringing it to life is, you know, we still find so many elements of a really, really traditional, you know, relationship, which is, it, it's just, I'm surprised an agency network or clients haven't driven a really radically different way to think about how we're going to come to market. Uh, because it really, I don't think it's really fundamentally changed you know, as, as quickly as it has to. Let's just say that. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, um, we have a lot of talent and capability that is still unapproachably distant to CMOs. It's too hard to get at. And, and I'm, I say that of the entire industry. You yeah. know, how, how, I know you guys, quote-unquote, have it in there somewhere, but how on earth do I get to it? No, and I think also, I think that's been slow to think about if we think about what, and it's a segue into like, you know, what CMOs think about. Like the people base that that a CMO needs today in a marketing department or even, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, a chief media officer, which isn't my title, but... Um, well, maybe you know, by tomorrow. It is. Maybe by tomorrow. <laughs> maybe by the time you listen to this, maybe it will be. Right. This, um, you know, the skill sets that we need, whether it be a marketer or even within my team, it used to be, we never need, I never needed to have, you know, a data analytics team or, you know, you know, experts in, in programmatic or experts in, you know, you know, ad ops and things like that on my team. It's like, you know, and you take that into, that's just the media space. You think about content. We never had content creation experts within, you know, marketing organizations. So the skill sets of people um, within the marketing organization have fundamentally changed from where they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it's hard to, you know, hard to keep up. You've made it to the lightning round. There's a T-shirt. We'll, we'll put it in the mail. Awesome. What's your favorite digital experience? Waze. 
ways. Yeah, well, it, it's just so damn useful. And I think they've so missed a trick of like how many, if you go ask consumers, would you pay five bucks a month to buy that? You Easily. Easily, right. You know, I know millions of people who would spend five bucks a month to, you know, to drive against that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm much more interested in that than having Morgan Freeman be the voice of my directions. Yeah, absolutely. No offense to Morgan Freeman. No, he's fabulous. But, uh, you know, if Morgan Freeman's going to get me lost, then I, you know, I'd rather have somebody's, you know. <laughs> How can God get you lost? Yeah, exactly. All right. um, best piece of content that you've recently consumed? I'm a sports guy, so like I consume a lot of uh, a lot of sports content. So things like you know, I think what Bleacher Report just did with the Phil Tiger thing, and it wasn't like it wasn't the part about like watching two rich forty year old guys play for money that they probably already had anyway. Um, just the principle of like how they can kind of bring that content to life mm-hmm. in a, in a new way and bring it to scale. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it is too, and I think you know we're going to see a lot more. It's of that. almost like we're definitely going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting you. No, that's okay. Go it's ahead. almost like the the technology failure they had is almost like was yeah. that really a technology failure? Was that a way for them to drive their you know drive their brand? Yeah, because now everybody's talking about you know driving about the brand. They get more benefit from that brand than any money they would have made from you know the people that laid out twenty dollars to to watch Phil and Tiger play golf. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I don't. Did they plan it that way? Um, that, that's pretty, pretty Machiavellian. I don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe their technology department planned it that way. Um, but I think you're exactly right. And, and you know, we're going to see any number of brands. It's almost like going back to the origin of like television when they would literally build and sponsor the content. Um, oh. you know, we're, we're going to go back to that the where Texaco radio, exactly. Uh, yeah, or, absolutely. you know, uh, that, you know, or the, you know, the soap operas, like, absolutely. And I think that'll be interesting Interesting to watch. Um, yeah, whether I need to watch two 40-year-old guys play for nine million bucks. I eh. personally, yeah, I, I personally question that, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting idea. Ben, I can't thank you enough for joining us no today. Worries. You've been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Can we have you back? Of course. All right, fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this has been The Human Element. I'm Robert Schwartz, and we'll be back out to you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.